You are now listening to Cyberscoop Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Cyberscoop Radio. I am your host, Greg Otto, Managing Editor of Cyberscoop. Thank you kindly for giving us some of your time today. Recently, Hewlett Packard Enterprise set up shop at National Harbor in Maryland to host their annual Protect Conference, highlighting all of the best and brightest security features, along with the minds behind them, that the company has to offer. We got a chance to talk to one of those minds, HPE Chief Technologist Terrence Spees, who dispelled some myths about integrating encryption into legacy systems. The federal government has been pressed by recent mandates, particularly the Obama administration's Cybersecurity National Action Plan, to better protect the troves of data that flow through its networks. Terrence talks about how encryption can be used in systems that are a few years behind the times, and let's face it, calling government systems behind the times is being nice. So let's learn why these old systems shouldn't scare people away from using new forms of encryption. So Terrence, thanks for joining us today. Really excited to hear what you have to say because I know with HPE has been doing a lot of work around data encryption, and I know there's some myths that you want to talk about today. So let's talk about these five myths surrounding encryption. And to start, there's this myth around encryption is going to break my applications. Can we talk about why that isn't necessarily a reality? Yeah, so so definitely. There, there are lots and lots of different ways of, of doing encryption that kind of range up and down the stack. And the really easy things are adding things like SSL or IPsec to an application where you're, you're simply going to defend the wire or adding disk encryption where you're going to encrypt the disk where the data is residing. And those are all transparent. They're never going to break your application. They may add some amount of overhead. The downside of those approaches, while they're, they're adequate, they're, they're not uh, going to cover every need that you have. The worry that most people have around applications breaking under encryption is when they actually start encrypting the data items themselves. And that can have a tremendous amount of upside because it can actually take those data items and turn them into a less risky form. And that is going to require that your applications are aware of that that transformation. But if you're transforming on that data item kind of level, there may be some amount of modification that's required to the application, but it can actually end up enabling a lot of uh, development practices and application practices that weren't possible before because it wasn't uh, safe to deal with the data in, in those other kinds of situations. So it definitely depends how you do that encryption, but, uh, but done right and with, with modern kinds of tools, you can really minimize the amount of impact that, that encryption is going to have on your apps. Now, you said it needs to be done right. What advice can you give to doing it right, making sure that an implementation doesn't lead people to believe that it's going to break applications. Yeah. So what we advocate is sort of uh, what I would what I'd call a fitness versus pharmaceutical approach to encryption. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so you, you can think of encryption in, in one sense as something that you want to plug in and it's transparent and it's just kind of going to protect you. And, and that's just not really going to work. What you really have to do is start imposing some data discipline on yourself and on the organization in terms of, as an organization, what do we store that is data that represents a risk? Where does that data ingested and where is it actually used. And that's going to be the first thing that you're going to need to implement uh, what we call a data-centric security program or a program where you're actually replacing that data with uh, less sensitive representatives of, of that data. There are definitely some steps that have to be taken there in terms of building that map. But there's a lot of upside to building that map in terms of if you understand, you know, these are the data items that are data types that I'm storing and why they're relevant and why they're risky. This is where I'm getting them. You can then start saying I'm going to replace social security numbers in my database with pseudonymized social security numbers that may have the same kind of relationships, and I can use encryption to do that. Okay. And the upside of doing that is that you have a, now a more disciplined approach to dealing with that data, that it's not just I'm going to clamp this in and I'm done. It's really you start having to think about data security as really an ongoing discipline within the organization. 
Okay, so for another myth, encryption not being enough on its own. Talk to me about the ideas surrounding that, whether you think that encryption is fine or there's other tools that need to be out there, maybe back to the implementation that we were talking about earlier. Security has a lot of different aspects, right? And it's not that you're going to encrypt your data and you're, you're suddenly done. You know, as I was talking about before, there's really a discipline to control the data, integrity of your data. So in the same way that, you know, for example, a firewall is not enough in order to get to a level of security, encryption's not enough either. I mean, it's sort of a myth, sort of not a myth. One of the things that people can get uh, paranoid about is that I'm using encryption. I don't necessarily understand all of the, the technical niceties of these techniques that I'm using, and maybe it's going to fail and things like that. I think those are largely overblown in terms of, you know, do I need to worry about algorithmic failure or mysterious hackers somehow penetrating 128-bit security, things like that. One of the really nice things about encryption is, is that through decades of development, we're now at the point that as a country or a society, we have these standards around encryption algorithms like AES, SHA-256 for hashing, things like that. And if you use those primitives, those are not going to fail, but you need to use them in the right way in terms of you know, if there is a failure, it's going to be around the way that you manage keys and things like that. So it definitely is the case that you can't simply sort of slap encryption on something and be done with it. But the nice thing is that encryption done right does let you go down to the level that you understand that you're secure in some more absolute sense, right? It's not that you're doing something that you believe is strong. It's, it's something that you can say mathematically. It's like, I have 128-bit security around this particular area, but you have to be careful about is what does that actually mean? Because if the encryption is transparent, somebody might be able to break into the stack at a different layer and, and start breaking that or exfiltrating that, that kind of information. Right. Okay, so encryption isn't going to break my apps. Is it going to slow them down? Am I going to have to worry about performance issues in my enterprise if I'm putting in the best encryption that's possible? Potentially. If you have to encrypt and decrypt every time you deal with a piece of data, that's certainly going to potentially lead to performance problems. So what a lot okay. of people have seen is if they go to hard disk level encryption or if they turn on encryption in the database layer where the database is doing encryption, every operation that gets performed on that piece of data is going to require that there's some encryption or decryption operation that happens. That's really putting encryption in the way. The technology that we're advocating, we spent a lot of time developing, is this idea of format preserving encryption. Okay. Some people will use uh, the term tokenization to refer to this also okay. uh, in terms of taking something like a social security number and transforming it with an encryption process into something that looks like and has some of the same characteristics as a social security number. And what that will allow you to do is use that data in its encrypted form. And that can be really vital from a performance point of view because what it means is that if your applications are written correctly, you're going to use the pseudonymized form of that social security number and never have to decrypt it. So that, that removes the overhead of decryption, uh, which is great for performance, but right. also really important for security. Because if you do this correctly, the end goal that you want to get to is the majority of your applications are never seeing a plain text social security number. They're instead dealing with that in its pseudonymized form. So if an attacker breaks into the application at any layer, even with an insider, the data that can be exfiltrated is basically these sort of meaningless pseudonyms as opposed to the actual data itself. Plausible deniability at the application. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And this, this, is, this is something that really came out of the payment industry. So the payment industry uh, went through a, a really big change around 2000. 2008-2009 with PCI in terms of saying, look, you can't be storing credit card numbers in the clear anymore. Right. And so the PCI Council started pushing people down the path of placing those credit card numbers that they were storing with uh, these encrypted or tokenized representatives.
So that has started coming out into other industries. So we see this in manufacturing. And now with NIST accepting these format-preserving encryption techniques, so there's a, a, a new NIST standard for how you do format-preserving encryption, we, we think that this will be a really big innovation that will enable uh, federal agencies that are storing sensitive data to take this approach of using format-preserving encryption to protect that data uh, in a really persistent kind of way. So another myth that the encryption and the cloud don't mix. The, the cloud is being pushed in federal agencies. The White House and OMB are pushing to try to get agencies to move. Can encryption and cloud work together? Yeah, encryption can, in fact, be a really big enabler for cloud. And we've worked with a number of companies that do this. So if you think about the risk for cloud, the risk is that you're sending your data out to some entity that you don't control, that probably have best practices around this, but you right. might, might end up with, with some sort of external breach. We have companies that we worked with that take their internal data and perform that kind of pseudonymization okay. process on that data to essentially remove the value of the data, and then they're able to take it up to analytic applications in the cloud. So in that case, encryption can actually be a, a cloud enabler. Okay. Um, now, it can be a little trickier if you want to move plain text data to the cloud and then start doing things like encrypting inside of the cloud. There can be some complexity involved in that, but we see more and more cloud providers that are providing hardware security module or HSM-enabled cloud images that enable you to do some amount of key management up there. From our perspective, this idea that that you can uh, take this data and, and de-identify it but still run analytics on it. The strategy you can think of is sort of encrypt and don't decrypt by moving into that encrypted form that you can treat in that way. That can actually be a really powerful enabler for a cloud where your data is never exposed in that secondary environment. One final myth, and this is a big one, I think, for the federal government because they do this so often and they deal with these systems so often, is that new tools and new encryption aren't going to work on legacy systems. Federal mm -hmm. government legacy systems go right. hand in hand. They've got some very, very old stuff. Can these new encryption standards work on this old legacy technology that they've been using? Yeah. I mean, in, in, in some sense, that's, that's the really critical motivating factor here. Because if you were designing a system from scratch, you could kind of, if you were smart about it, design encryption in to say, basically, I'm going to deal with encrypted application, uh, encrypted data in this, this brand new application. But very few people are writing new applications, right? Particularly in big companies, you have a whole bunch of databases and other application processes, like you said, about the federal government. And so we have written a whole suite of tools that enable you to use format-preserving encryption and this idea of, of taking that data into a pseudonymized form. On a number of legacy platforms, we, we actually spend a lot of time working with customers on mainframe and other kinds of mini-computer kind of platforms with, with a strategy of not having to retrofit those applications because what you're encrypting is going to look like the original data and often will look enough like the original data that for a lot of applications it's simply going to pass through in its encrypted form as opposed to having to be decrypted every single time that you want to touch that data. So we've seen a number of really large customers who have actually retrofit systems in place or have encrypted their data in such a way that those, those legacy systems just continue to operate on that data without even really knowing that they're dealing with encrypted data. So we see this as a really big enabler for those systems. So it sounds like any real sort of fear is that this tokenization, this format preserving encryption is going to break, slow down, stop workflow is kind of unfounded. So is this something that you're hearing from federal agencies or just from enterprises across the board that this is something that they are moving to regardless of where they are or they still have their old 15, 20-year systems in place? Yeah. So for us, we, we, we spent a lot of time pursuing that, that standardization, working with NIST and other agencies around getting acceptance around this technique. So for us, this has really been something that we have been 
uh, doing inside of the payment space, insurance, healthcare outside of the federal government for a long time. We view that uh, that new standardization effort as something that's going to enable us to take a technology that we've really, in some sense, had the good fortune to have about five years worth of refining in commercial settings, and then be able to take that into the things that we've learned about working within legacy systems to take that into the federal space and be able to hopefully start securing applications there with all that knowledge that we've gained over that time. Terrence, appreciate you stopping by talking to us about this stuff, encryption. Not that scary. Those (laughs) myths that are out there, stop worrying about them. Absolutely. Thanks for the questions. This is really great. All right. Thank you. As we've learned, just because you have old systems doesn't mean new encryption is going to break things, slow things down, or force them to be unusable. Good advice from HPE as enterprises are moving to make sure their data is secure. A big thanks to them for letting Terrence educate us all on that front. So for the best coverage of cybersecurity's cutting edge, please check out cyberscoop.com. This has been the latest edition of Cyberscoop Radio. I am your host, Greg Otto, signing off. Thanks for listening.